Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comic book fans around the globe and to different galaxies beyond, I am the Vigilant Geek. This is the Vigilant Geek Podcast. My name is Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media, and with me as always, my comic book partner in crime, oh, hold it on, who is also a very active co-manager here at Vigilant Geek Media. So, uh, this is a very, uh, enthralling episode we have here for you this week. Uh, we are kicking off our Vigilant Geek Science Fiction Month here. November is going to be dedicated to the genre of science fiction. Uh, we're gonna be talking about many different, uh, famous, uh, exciting stories uh throughout all different mediums uh the graphic novel medium we're going to talk uh uh some of the best sci-fis out of Valiant DC Marvel and uh the independent comic book community this month as well as uh other mediums such as television and film so uh We'd like to welcome you all back here, and let's gear up and get ready to go out and venture into infinity and beyond. Nice speech. I'm, I'm <laughs> Thank moved. you. I'm very. Thank you. I, I got that actually from from Buzz Lightyear, uh, who is uh, you know one of my uh, one of my childhood heroes. He's, you know, from those of you who don't know who Buzz Lightyear is, he's a spaceman toy. He's not a toy. He's a space ranger. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So let's get that right, right here and now. Um, we, uh, actually didn't get a chance to record last week. So first and foremost, uh, uh, you know, us here at the Vigilant Geek want to apologize for that. We actually had a mishap trying to record a few days before Halloween. Uh, maybe you could, uh, enlighten, uh, the fans as to, uh, how that happened. Oh yeah. Cause it's, Really enlightening. Basically, for some reason, uh, if you're familiar with Beverly, Massachusetts at all, uh, what they did was they went ahead and they blocked off all the streets with cones because of this Halloween holiday, this, this holiday called Halloween where they go ahead and they, 
they take their offspring, these human larvae, and you dress them up as cute or scary things, and you give them a plastic bucket that's shaped like a pumpkin or a tote bag. A tote bag with something funny written on the bag, and then you, 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 you make them walk door to door and beg for sugar. Because that's what happened. And we couldn't get in. There's no, no podcasting for us. Yeah, they, they, uh, they blocked off the whole street, and we couldn't get to the studio. Uh, there, there legitimately was not a place to park. Now, uh, for those of you who live in the Salem, Massachusetts area, you're probably familiar with how crazy things get, uh, Salem sort of being the Halloween capital of the country. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be this bad, though. I, I, you know, we had a great podcast lined up. Uh, for last week, we were going to go over, uh, you know, some of the, uh, of our favorite, uh, horror movies and horror television, uh, series. Uh, however, uh, if you're still interested, if you're still a horror buff, uh, cause we're kind of leaving the horror stuff behind us now and moving on to sci-fi. Uh, if you're still looking, you know, for some recommendations on some of the scariest, horror movies to watch or uh, horror series to get into, um, feel free to go on to the Vigilant Geek blog. That's vig- the Vigilant Geek uh, dot blogspot. Uh, either way, there's a link as well um, on the podcast. But either way, uh, if you go to our uh, Halloween article from 2014, you can find uh, a very extensive list of not only uh, the scariest horror movies that we've picked out for you, but also TV series and even some of the scariest comic book characters. We rated those top ten scariest. Uh, so some interesting stuff there. If you're into the actual blog and looking to find out some uh, recommendations for horror so, moving on, though, uh, we are going to introduce some of the topics and some of the works of literature and uh, film that we're going to be s- discussing throughout the month uh, for uh, our science fiction month that we're having uh, for November. Um, this is all going to lead up to a giant Star Wars podcast that we're going to be doing the end of November. Mark Gallagher is going to be back on the show for that one, along with Nathan Burke, uh, two uh, New England stand-up comedians that have been on the show quite a bit. Uh, big Star Wars guys. So uh, in preparation for that new movie, Force Awakens, coming out next month, uh, we're going to have that. Um but, you know, leading up to that, we're going to be talking a lot about some science fiction uh, comic books that are worth checking out, uh, particularly uh, under the labels of Valiant, DC, Marvel, and Image, uh, and also some independent stuff, too. I personally will be reviewing uh, Outbound Volume 2, which is an independent anthology uh Written and drawn by the Boston Comics Roundtable and produced by Riverbird Studios, uh, that article will also be out this month, so be looking for that, because uh, these anthologies coming out from Boston Comics Roundtable have really been something. Uh, we'd uh, put out the Hellbound 5 End of Comics uh, review last month uh, to go along with our horror theme. Uh, if you if you're interested in checking out uh, Outbound Volume One, that review is on the blog as well. And like I said, this month we will be continuing reviewing some of these Boston Comics Roundtable anthologies, and we will be reviewing Outbound Volume Two, 
which uh, is basically, you know, a continuation and continuity from the stories of Outbound Volume 1. So, uh, you know, I've read all those stories. They're, they're very cool. The, the sci-fi anthology they've put out has probably been the most impressive thing coming out of uh, Boston Comics Roundtable that I've personally come across. Uh, so lots of good stuff there. But first, uh, I feel like, uh, we should sort of give an introduction as to some of the great sci-fi comic book titles that are out there right now on the racks that, uh, you should definitely pick up if you're a sci-fi junkie. Uh, I suppose I'd like to kick off and, uh, we could talk a little bit about what Valiant Comics has to offer because they got probably the best sci-fi out there today i'd say yeah well they they delve into a lot of different genres but i think most of them really fall into science fiction oh sure big time every every single one of them would fall under the sci-fi category i'd say um but you know we picked out some of the real prominent ones to talk about uh i suppose the best way to start off talking about valiant sci-fi would be to discuss their big sci-fi uh front-running character exo manowar yeah exo manowar is pretty much the flagship book of the entire valiant line um some people may say that it's a bloodshot and mm. i guess that'd be a close second but as far as runs are concerned exo manowar has been going on i think they're almost up to their 50th they'll they'll reach their 50th issue this year or, or early next year yeah, Exo's kind of like a cooler Iron Man, so to speak, in a way, with the suit. And then Bloodshot's kind of like their Wolverine, in a way. I feel, I, that's just how I equate it, kind of. Yeah, that's... But, uh, I, I mean, I can see what you mean. Just because, like, you know, Bloodshot's got the regenerative qualities with the nanites, and then, uh, you know, Exo's got the suit. But obviously, they're 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 very different stories. But, um, yeah, they're, they're like the two big marquee characters uh, for Valiant. I mean, there are certainly others. But, uh, yeah, Exo Manowar, uh, what's going on now? Well, in order to really talk about what's going on right now, you'd probably have to go back to Armor Hunters, I'd say. Mm, probably a little further than that, honestly. Well, I suppose we could go, we could go further back. Um, so, I kind of, I, I mean, if you're not familiar with the origin, um, Eric, of Demencia, the Visigoth was kidnapped in the early AD era by an alien race called the Vine. Eventually, he ends up breaking out and getting the uh, the Exo Manowar armor, which they worship and called Shinara. Um, since then, he's gotten into different uh, quarrels with the Vine. Um, he ended up going back to the. He ended up thwarting a Vine invasion on Earth. Then went all the way to the Vine homeworld and fought the military people there. And then he made an agreement with the religious sect of the Vine and they came to an understanding. And then the Vine homeworld gets wiped out by uh, a program that activated from the armor hunters after in case all the armor hunters were killed off by the other armors. Right. And, and they thwarted that, but now the Vine, they don't have a home world to go back to because their world was just, world was just desolated. It was just completely raised by this, um, uh, the dead hand program. And then, so now the Vine have chosen to come back to Earth to live, um, with Eric and 
on Earth, and then the, the meanwhile you have um, they have uh, vine, what they call plantings, and they look like humans, but they're actually part of the vine, and they look like humans, but they've been interacting and hiding in the shadows, kind of like a secret organization for thousands of years. And right now, um, the ones who are occupying Earth are trying to make a power play because they want what's left of the vine to go to war with the humans to try to kill off all the humans. And Eric is trying to garner a peace between the two. And the vine right now, the, the actual vine from the vine homeworld trust him, but the plantings are trying to create this, this war between the two. And right now there are like some plantings who just have shot up the high priest and you don't know whether or not, uh, that, the uh, whether who's going to keep the cool head or if Eric can maintain the peace or if just full blown war is going to break out between the two. Cause you got this huge f- fleet with ever all the vine who survived. And then you have like all the, the people on earth and then you don't know if they're going to, they're going to end up fighting. So that's, that's pretty much where we're at right now. Yeah. I thought it was really like just a really cool, like kind of climactic, uh, situation where, the vine just kind of show up on earth, you know, show up in Eric's back door and just like, Hey, we're here. Uh, take care of us now. You're our God in, in a, in a manner of speaking. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. it's it, like, like, like that relative who doesn't, can't really hold down a job and they just kind of drop in for months at a time. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to stay on your couch. I hope you have nice food in the fridge. Meantime, he's, 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 stressing and racing to try to like you know make sure that no one kills off any of these vine that showed up you know and and then all the meanwhile uh all hell breaks loose when the priest gets shot and uh you have like a whole mess on your hands now and exo man wars in the middle where you know he is loyal to the vine and he's loyal to the human race so He's trying to pro exactly. He's trying to proctor uh, some sort of peace, uh, and it, it's going horribly wrong right now. Uh, I believe he is gonna try to uh, uh, form an exodus to another planet. Am I right about that, or was that something else I read? Um, that's the name of the arc. That's the name of the arc right now. I right, think, as right. far as the Exodus is concerned, I think what they're talking about is the, vine the Exodus of the yeah. Vine leaving their homeworld and coming to Earth. Okay. Um, I believe next month is the final issue issue of that story arc. So we'll we'll kind of find out where it goes from there. Oh, cool. Uh, All right. I mean, I don't know. Valiant's got a lot of good stuff right now. Um, last week, the uh, the finale of the Book of Death. Came out. Yeah, still have not read the finale yet. I haven't either. Um, yeah, I can't wait for that. I've read everything else from Book of Death, but and then I mean, all the one shots have been really, really good too. Um, for, for Book of Death, yeah, yeah, they've been really cool and insightful. Basically, uh, in regards to Book of Death, long of the short of it is um, this Geomancer from the future. Geomancers, <laughs> we have a lot of explaining to do when it comes to Valiant. Geomancers, uh, are, um, these humans that are selected to, uh, speak for the earth. Basically, yeah, to speak for the earth. They, uh, you know, have these abilities uh, over, uh, pretty much everything on the earth, like nature. Exactly. Um, 
But when one geomancer in present day becomes corrupted uh, by an evil force, uh, a geomancer from the future named Tama, uh, she brings the Book of Death with her, um, which foretells the fate of numerous characters in the Valiant universe. Now, there's a specific reason why she brings this book, but if you haven't read the arc, I'm not going to give it away. What you do need to know is that they put out these awesome one-shots showing how each of these big marquee characters in the Valiant universe would die. Like, you know, the fall of Bloodshot, uh, the fall of Ninjak, uh, Harbinger, Exo Manor, and they were all just excellent. Uh, they also kind of give you like, uh, kind of looks into the future of what kind of storylines you might see in the future. Uh, and then like, it just shows certain things, like certain relationships between characters. It explains some things that you might not know the answer to. Um, so it's been, it's been really, really good. And then, uh, kind of gives you more insight into the book, the Rye book, and it tells you how new, uh, new Japan was founded. Right. How, uh, the artificial intelligence that was created uh, to control New Japan actually came from Livewire, who's a character in Unity who can control computers and technology with her mind. Yeah, she's a, uh, I guess, what would we call like a technomancer? Technomancer, yeah, that's a perfect uh, description. So uh, this liquid that... Uh, basically becomes the entity known as Father, uh, the governing force, if you will, behind New Japan, and uh, the the creator of Rai himself, who is artificial intelligence. Um, it's all derived from Livewire, uh, which is really neat. It's a really cool connection there. Uh, so uh, that's, that's also a pretty good book. I, uh, I picked up the last issue, so I'm not completely caught up on it, but I'm familiar enough with the Valiant Universe to really like pick up and get going. Um, and it, it's looking pretty exciting. It looks they're about to uh, integrate um, the Eternal Warrior into the storyline. Into Rai? Yeah. Really? That's, well, yeah, I guess the Eternal Warrior uh, goes back and forward in time all the time. Well, this is, I mean, he's immortal, so this is like the wicked old version of him. Okay. And then I guess he's been out of action for a long time. He's all old, and he's just hanging out in Arkansas. And Rai goes to talk with him, and then he's like, "Yeah, well, yes, the the, ge- the new Geomancer for Earth is on New Japan." And and then that's all Gilad needs to hear is like, "All right, well, we have to go to New Japan and kill Father." And that's where we left off, and it's looking pretty good. Oh, so uh, could potentially see a cool team up with Rai then. Yes, because. Uh, for anyone who's reading that title, obviously Rai finds out how evil and corrupt Father is, you know, the artificial intelligence that is controlling everything in New Japan. Uh, and he uh, establishes a rebellion with, uh, you know, a few other key characters in that story. Uh, so it's very cool. Rai is extremely futuristic. Matt Kent, I got to tell you, he's probably one of the best sci-fi writers Along with Brian K. Vaughn, I want to say Jeff Lemire. Uh, he's, yeah, he's definitely one of the big sci-fi writers out there in present day right now. He's such a good writer. You know, he does Ninjak as well, and he does a few other books. Um, really cool stuff. 
So, um, just going back to Exo Man of War for one minute, uh, a book that kind of, or a story arc that, that Valiant came out with that sort of started out with Exo Man of War being one of the main characters in the story arc, uh, was Dead Drop. Ah, Dead Drop. Yeah, that was an interesting story arc. That was an excellent sci-fi series. It was a four book little story arc, but I, I'll tell you, it cooked. It was, it was an awesome, action-packed story about uh, an alien virus. I believe it was. It wasn't fine. It was a different alien virus, um, and this girl was using a series of dead drops, which are like really secretive places throughout New York City that you you know she could uh, uh, pass the uh, virus onward. Right. Uh, well- a dead drop, if you're not familiar, is um, it's used in spycraft. If you're when the, the craft of being a spy, what they'll do is they'll they'll go and they'll they'll take some information and then they'll break it down into something small and secret and they'll they'll take it and then they'll ha- put it in a hiding place in 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 public. And then the other person coming to pick it up knows where the hiding spot is and they'll come and they'll pick it up from that spot and then they'll move it on to the next spot. That's that's how dead drops work. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this teenage girl ends up, uh, in possession of the virus. Exo Manowar is on her tail. He fails in, uh, apprehending her. Then they get Obadiah Archer in on it. He tries and fails, uh, to, to, to get the virus. Um, so they're, they both get themselves captured. Then, uh, Neville Alcott, uh, he, uh, enlists the help of, well, it's not really Neville though, but he enlists the help of Betamax, which is like a, an old school cyborg, yeah. but he's like a cyborg from the eighties. Like he's got a fax machine attached to him. Yeah. And- <laughs> he's a, uh, he's a quantum and Woody character. He's from this. Oh, se- okay. He's from a secret organization called Edison's Acquisitions. And they're the secret society of scientists that whenever they make a major breakthrough, they want to go ahead and, and, uh, include these these people into their secret organization and uh this was a guy who used some of the most high tech equipment from the 80s to turn himself into a cyborg but the only problem is is that he can't remove any of the equipment or he'll die so like he's high tech but for the 80s so he's got like an x-ray and like a yeah. <laughs> and like a fax machine and like a a, a beta tape player <laughs> like just like stuff that would be laughable now for technology but he like really wants to be a secret agent. So he's entrusting Neville Alcott. It's not really him. It's one of the aliens. And, uh, he hand, he finds the dead drop, the final one in the park. He, uh, hands over the virus. Sure enough, he hands it to the wrong people. Um, then gets himself killed, uh, because of that. But, uh, they, you know, the real Neville Alcott, who is uh, sort of like the Nick Fury of Valiant, I want to say. You know, he's he's like the government official in charge of uh, uh, Unity, uh, MI6 guy, or is it MI5 or MI6? Six. Okay. So uh, one last-ditch effort. He gets this, like, veteran police detective lady to go after the virus right and to try to find out what the hell happened to exo man of war and obadiah archer and uh long of the short of it just to keep things moving is uh 
She finds out what the hell's going on uh, in this warehouse by the harbor. Uh, Exo Manowar is sitting there in like a vat of nasty alien juice of some sort. <laughs> Obadiah Archer's all beat up, like tied to a chair, and she ends up, uh, you know, ends up saving the day, setting him free, killing the virus, kills the virus, blows up the building, and uh, that's pretty much how the story concludes but very cool very awesome sci-fi tale uh i was a big fan of that one uh so um just a few other things to talk about in regards to valiant sci-fi uh we have the a new character that they created uh that just came out this past year in divinity uh, which is, I think, a, a, a four-book series. They did a four-book run on that. It came out in softcover. I picked it up. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's a completely original character, no, too. Did, I think Matt, <clears throat> did Matt Kent write that as well? Yeah. I, yeah, he, he is. They, he made him up, and, uh. He is so, such an amazing, like, out-of-the-box thinker and writer. It's just unreal. It's completely original right now for Valiant, uh, for a Valiant character right now. Uh, this Valiant character hasn't appeared in anything else. Um, like, he didn't ha- wasn't involved in any of the early runs in the early 90s. Um, they haven't had a new character created in a, in a while, like a, like a big marquee character. You know, they haven't created a new one in quite some time. Um, I'm not completely sure, but I think Dr. Mirage may have been one. Um, but I think you're right about that, but even still, she's been around for a few years, I know. Uh, um, I mean, I think they're the Valiant's got a lot of big stuff going on. I think they're about to go from six books to month to maybe eight, yeah, or nine. Because I know they kept their uh, the amount of books that they put out uh, for very small, but I think they're about to go up because Faith is getting her own book, um, right? Uh, Doctor Mirage is getting her own book. They're bringing Shadow Man back. It looks like that, anyways. Because uh, well, he's I think he's getting he's going to be interacting with the Valiant Universe. Well, I know that Ninjak is really in a year. Ninjak's going into Dead Side, and that's going to be a big, big arc coming out next month. Uh, you know, you can't go into Dead Side without encountering Shadow Man. Nope. So well, I I've, got I've seen the new designs for them. They're they're pretty cool looking. Really, I have not seen those. I'll have to check them out. Neat okay. stuff. Um, so in Divinity, just to keep it short and sweet, uh, it's basically about a Russian cosmonaut who is sent into deep, deep, deep space. And he encounters a powerful entity out there in deep space that transforms him basically into a god where he can mold reality into whatever he wishes and when he comes back to earth uh people are not very receptive to him until he starts giving everyone exactly what they want uh a good example of this might be what he did when he first touched down uh in australia in the outback where he takes that desert area and he creates this giant like utopia uh with with all this just miles and miles of 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 green plant life and and water bodies of water and just you know he creates it out of nothing you know because he can just he can just mold reality and, and people are just awestruck um 
you know, but as he goes, you know, he encounters people like Toyo Harada in Imperium. Uh, he obviously he encounters Unity in the, I believe, the third issue of uh, the Divinity series. Uh, and they're not very receptive. They they want to bring him in. You know, that everybody's sort of saying like, oh, this is too much power for someone to wield. But at the same time. He's only doing good. He's not doing anything bad with it. Yeah, he's just kind of giving people what they want. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you can look into somebody's soul and find out what it would take to provide them with true happiness. And he's going around the world doing this for people. Uh, so, yeah, you can kind of see, like, you know, the point of view where where it's kind of scary, but also, like, he's doing a lot of good. So, uh, obviously, you get a big powerhouse like Toyo Harada, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Harbinger books or Imperium, um, he is what's called a Psyot. Psyots are, uh, extremely powerful superhumans that have, like, mental abilities to do all sorts of different things. And Toyo Harada, uh, is one of two Omega level Psyots. Uh, the other one being Peter Stanchek, the, uh, the harbinger. Right. So, uh, you know, Harada is encountering divinity and saying, you know, you're going to help me build my, you know, utopian society that I've started, but you're going to do it under my terms. And divinity is saying, you know, I can give you what you want, but the way you're controlling everything, you're going to do a lot more harm to other people, you know, so we're not going to do it on your terms. And that's where they, they butt heads. Uh, Harada almost gets to the point where he is learning how to beat divinity by, uh, using his long lost love and his daughter, uh, to try to bring him down on an emotional level. And it sort of works for a while until Divinity snaps out of it and defeats him. But very cool stuff. Uh, both Divinity and Imperium actually are... Uh, if you haven't picked up the soft cover for Divinity, I highly recommend it. And then Imperium, they're just starting a new arc right now. So it's a great jumping on point because uh, they just finished up with Divinity. And uh, I think it's... Yeah, I think they're getting ready to start a beef. With the Vine's getting ready to start a beef that's with, right. the, uh, with Toyo Harada and his Psyots. Yeah. Which is gonna, you know, so I think they're gonna try to make contact with the um, the Vine Overlord LV ninety nine that Harada mm-hmm. ended up hatching. Right, right. Because I guess the Vine tried to kill him before by by creating that sp- particular Vine, but like Harada went ahead and hatched it and took away its ability to communicate with the the Vine hive mind. Exactly. And, Made him like basically join his team, work for him, right. do his bidding, and. LV99, much like every other uh, member of this alien race, I just want to give you a visual on this. These aliens are really cool looking. They're like giant insect looking humanoids, humanoids, but they, they got like, you know, six eyes and pinchers, pinchers. Yeah. They're just really cool looking aliens though. They're, they're creepy looking, you know, that it, I love when people do aliens and they do them you know, a certain way visually where they just look scary because when you deal with aliens, you're dealing with something that's unknown to begin with. And then you add like, you know, a menacing creature that's unknown. That's like double whammy right there. So 
that's always fun to see in a comic when they really, you know, get the visual aspect of the aliens, like the, the way that I really like them, the real scary looking ones. So that's cool. Um, so yeah, uh, in regards to Valiant, uh, lots of great stuff. I mean, you pick up anything from Valiant, you're not going to go wrong. But in regards to sci-fi, and we'll be talking a little more about these titles uh, this month, but uh, you, you're definitely going to want to check out Rai, story of New Japan. Uh, you're going to want to check out Imperium, the story of the Psyots, sort of a continuation of the Harbinger story. Exo Man of War. Check out Dead Drop. It's in soft cover now. Uh, it's a four-book series. Very well done. Divinity, also in softcover, four-book series, extremely well done. Matt Kent, can't go wrong with him. Now, uh, there's just one Image title. Uh, now, Image has its sci-fi as well. well they have uh, actually quite a bit of it going on right now. Um, they got a lot of sci-fi, yeah. I mean, uh, let's see. Well, Saga is amazing. I believe that... Um Brian K. Vaughn's taking a break with that, but We Stand on Guard is very much sci-fi, which is another book he's working on. Oh, yeah. On. Tell me a little bit about that, because I was interested, but I haven't picked it up yet. Okay. So We Stand on Guard takes place about in around the year 2100. Okay. Um, it's in a, a distant future where they got mechs and stuff, but things aren't uh, that technologically advanced. And they're in a situation where... The United States stages a terrorist attack on the White House that made it look like it was Canada who bombed them because to, to rationalize a, a war with going with Canada. And uh, the reason being for this is because Canada hasn't been uh, being all willy-nilly with their resources. And right now the major resource that everyone really needs isn't oil, but it's water. And Canada's got tons of reserves and water in the United States is just hurting and they need it bad. So they go ahead and they, they stage this terrorist attack and they, they invade, invade Canada. And the story is about, um, a few individuals who are part of this kind of liberation re rebellion. It's like eh, about 11 people. Well, actually eh, less than that. Like, eh, I think 10 between seven to 10 people who are part of this Freedom Fighters and they live up in, in Canada and they're dealing with the American occupation and they're trying to find ways to fight back. And and that's pretty much where the story's at right now. Um a new epi new book came out for it today. Um it's been very good. Um not I haven't liked it as much as say Saga, because Saga is probably one of my favorite books of all time. Um, uh, Saga is incredible. We'll get into that. Um, but, but, but it's been good. And then a couple other ones. We got uh, Jeff Lemire has been doing um, his own creator-owned Descender, which is also very sci-fi. Uh, it follows the tale of this uh, young robot boy named Tim. Tim twenty-two. Uh, Tim twenty-one. Tim twenty-one. Because Tim twenty-two doesn't show up till the end of the book. Belay my last. That's uh yeah, so I guess things are going fine with robotics and then what happens is these robots appear, these enormous robots appear out of the sky and something crazy happens, people freak out and they 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 do this robot genocide and they just kind of kill Ooh, that, off. That would be a really I hate to interrupt you, but that would just be a really good name for like a slash metal band. 
robot genocide. We'll write it down. I'm gonna have to write that down for when I start my uh, my metal bands, which go. probably won't ever happen. But you, you can you never your, know. Your deathcore band. Yeah. Yeah. Robot genocide. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, sorry to interrupt. Please continue because I actually Descender was on my list as one of the key sci-fi's to talk about today. So, so as it goes, um, the guy who's known as like the modern day father of robotics. This uh, I forget his freaking name. I forget his name too. But yeah, there's this uh, this doctor. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. He's known as the father of robotics, but as we find out later in the story, he goes on this expedition with, you know, with his, uh, his mentor, the guy who pretty much taught him everything he knows about robotics, and they find, uh, this, this old sentient robot from, it's like really, really old, and he uses the coding from this because it's more advanced than anything he's ever seen, and he uses right, that right. to design all these robots. Like the like the Tim model. So anyway, a little later on in the story, the doctor ends up getting picked up by the the galactic government to go find this Tim robot because there's a, stra- a distress signal on this mining planet where uh, things went wrong and all the people who lived there died. And they go to capture him, and then junkers go and pick him up and bring him to this planet where they're doing making robots fight to the uh, death. I don't know robots. And then, uh, and then they end up getting saved by robots at the end. And that's pretty much where we're at right now. Um, I mean, I think the best part of the series is the artwork by Eric Wynn. Dustin Wynn. Is it Dustin Wynn? Yeah, Dustin Wynn. Yes. He is fantastic. And he's, he's done a lot of work for Marvel and DC as well, but he's doing this awesome watercolor stuff with paints and it is just out of this world. It is such a treat to, to look at while you're reading. It just sucks you right into this universe that, uh, Dustin Wynn and uh, Jeff Lemire created, and it is just fantastic. And then, I mean, yeah, like I said, Image also has a lot of other, uh, two other really prominent uh, comic, uh, well, um, science fiction titles as far as comics are concerned. Well, actually, a few more than that, honestly. I mean, you got East of West, which is a futuristic dystopia done by Jonathan Hickman, who just, like, got finished on this, like, epic three-year run on Avengers, New Avengers, and is just oh, completing yeah. Secret Wars. Um, then you got Southern Cross by Becky Cloonan, who's just named as uh, the new writer for the new Punisher book for Marvel. Yeah, I'm psyched about that. Um, Southern Cross is pretty much it's like a horror book. They're they're riding this uh, this space tanker to uh, Titan, and this girl is supposed to go there to collect the uh, belongings of her dead sister. And it's like you don't know if things are haunted and something's going on. And there's foul play involving um, space gangsters somehow. And it's got these horror elements to it. And it's actually been pretty pretty fun. Yeah, it's pretty neat. And then uh, and then what just started out was. Um, with uh, Tokyo Ghost. Oh, yeah. You had just picked me up the first two issues of that, which I'm very grateful of because uh, for some reason, my local retailer would not carry the first issue. I didn't want to start on issue two. Right. Uh, thanks again for that. So, brief explanation of that, since I know you want to get into it for yourself, is it? Uh, it's a futuristic dystopia where people... 
are too involved in in media in general. It's just kind of they have these implants where just TV shoes are just beamed into your head, and a lot of people just become useless. It's like an era <laughs> where all the labor's done by robotics and everything, so it leaves all these people who are just like completely unemployed and have nothing to do. So they just hook themselves into this internet and. And they're like, they just become completely like digitally addicted, just total screen heads. Um, doesn't sound very far fetched to me with the way things are going. No, I think, uh, <laughs> the, the writer's, uh, inspiration was how people are kind of staring at their phones all the time these days. Which is a pet peeve of mine, for sure, especially on the roadways. Yeah. <laughs> but continue. So, and the, um, so far the art's been really, really good. Sean Murphy's doing the artwork. The coloring's being done by, uh, Matt Hollingsworth. Oh, he's uh, a veteran. And, uh, it's really good. Hollingsworth, I believe, is actually doing the coloring on, uh, We Stand on Guard. Or actually, I believe he might actually be doing both the artwork and the coloring. Um, at any rate, um, it's, it's been a really, really good book so far. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I forget where I was going with that, but as you can see, Image has a lot of very strong sci-fi titles. Oh, absolutely. Um, before we move on from, from Image though, um, it would actually be really cool if, uh, you wouldn't mind touching upon Saga for just, just a minute, uh, just cause that one is just a real prominent sci-fi, uh, that I feel like we should really just touch upon. If not for, uh, how unique the story is and certainly the artwork, uh, it's, it's really, the, it come, Saga touches on a lot of really big themes from, um, like, uh, war, the military industrial complex to, um, racism and interspecies, well not I mean, it's interspecies in that, but it's like, you know, kind of how like people view interracial relationships and, and stuff like that. Um, so Saga's whole point, like, it's based on these two planets and they, they were at war with each other. One's the planet and the other one's the moon of the planet. And the two, they're two different uh, societies on each planet. And one's more technological and the other one kind of more relies on magic. And they've been fighting each other bloody wars for years and years and years. So what they finally do is they, they go and they start colonizing other places and get other people in on, on the conflict. And the conflict goes ahead and it moves away from both of these planets. So they don't really have to deal with it. But at the same time, they're using everyone else to wage the war. Kind of like, uh, the Cold War with, um, I don't know, like Vietnam, like right with the United States on one side, and then you got the communists on the other side, who are probably secretly backed up by Russia between the two. Yeah. So, so you have this these two factions who are fighting each other, but aren't really they're just they're just representing two other factions secretly. So imagine that's that's the case, only it's galaxy wide. And the hatred between the two and the amount of money being made off the war profiteering is just enormous. And the two governments want to continue the fighting because they've got this grudge and the amount of money they're making. 
So two two soldiers, uh, a male and a female from each species from different from the two different places, end up getting together. They fall in love. They end up having a baby. As far as the other two governments concerned, the baby's an abomination, and it needs to be killed because if they show that somehow peace could be given a chance, even on the smallest level between male and female, that they they'll it would be a threat to all the ideologically and ideology and everything else that has been going on throughout the entire galaxy and what they got going on. And um, what Saga does is it touches on uh, relationship dynamics, how men and women and, and marriage and relationships like that interact with each other. It deals with the uh, the war profiteering issue. It deals with uh, um, the, the secret scars of war with PTSD and, and other issues that people would have to cope with afterwards. Um and in it's all integrated into this book, and it's fantastic. The artwork is completely done by Fiona Staples, and then the story by Brian K. Vaughn is probably his best. And he's no stranger to sci-fi because he's done all these other books, uh, Why the Last Man being probably uh, the most well-known of his works. Oh, sure. And um, And it's just kind of a shame because he's taken a sabbatical, and he started these two other series – uh, we stand on guard and paper girls. So while he's doing these two, since he's independent creators, they don't have as much support as people working on um, big industry books. So right now, there, there's this, been this sabbatical for Saga. It hasn't come out in like f- four months. So while he's busy doing these other things, which I imagine enriches him to a certain degree, at the same time, I'm being... I'm 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 going through Saga withdrawal because it was probably the best comic on the stands, and has been for for a very long time. I wow! Mean, if you haven't picked it up, I highly recommend it. I mean, it's even one of those things where I even bought the hardcover. And usually, if I collect something once, I don't go ahead and pick up hardcover or anything. It's pointless. But in this case, <laughs> I have it, and then when I get a place of my own, that motherfucker's going right on the coffee table. Right on that coffee table. Right on it. That motherfucker. You're gonna put that motherfucker right on that coffee table. Woohoo! Look at me! Coffee table! Yeah, yeah. no, uh, you let me, uh, peer through that book though, and, and, uh, the art alone is just, it's, it's out of this world. Literally. I mean, a great diet. I mean, I can't say enough good things about it, but, that we have other things that we have to say good things about. I suppose. Don't we? <laughs> or maybe just things. Maybe they don't have to be good. <laughs> well, um. Oh my glob, you guys. I suppose, um, we'll take a few minutes and we'll talk about the big two of DC and Marvel. Uh, cause they certainly have their own sci-fi titles. Uh, let's start off with DC and let's talk a little bit about, uh, the flagship space opera within DC, Green Lantern. It, okay, so Green Lantern is uh, the main premise behind the book normally is that the Green Lantern Corps is a group of intergalactic police who go ahead and police the galaxy with their light rings and they go and they take care of business and everything like that. Well, the book's kind of taken a different turn and it's been, well, let me see, a little over six months since it kind of went in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, about that. So what they did is the main the main character, well, he's not always the main character. There are a lot of different Green Lanterns, and sometimes they choose to focus on different ones. But in this case, Hal Jordan pretty much is the Green Lantern, 
the be all end all Green Lantern. People say Green Lantern. That's probably who you're thinking about. Um, he's decided to go ahead and kind of fall on his sword. And because lately, over the past couple story arcs before, the Green Lanterns have been kind of getting a bad rap. Um, it does, it turns out the light that powers their rings is part of an emotional, uh, spectrum in the galaxy is finite. And when it's used up, the galaxy dies. And the rest of the universe finds this out. And they're like, hey, what are you doing? You're going to kill us all. And while they're trying to maintain peace in the galaxy, they're also taking a lot of flack for that. And and just the Green Lantern Corps ends up just getting like a really bad name for themselves. Their names just dragged through the mud. So Hal Jordan goes ahead and since he was leading the Green Lantern Corps through, during this time, he just goes ahead and he says like, all right, well, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and make it look like like I was just abusing my power and making terrible decisions and it's not the Green Lantern Corps' fault, it's it's my fault. And then that way people will go ahead and and it'll take some heat off the the Green Lantern Corps and I'll just be a renegade in the galaxy and they, this is what I'll do because this is the organization that uh I, I love and I've served for so long. So he goes and he steals the Cronus Gauntlet, which has its own power battery, it's like the most powerful weapon in and it's supposed to be locked away, and he ends up getting in this brawl with Kilowog, uh, one of the veterans of the Green Lantern Corps, and Kilowog knows what Hal's trying to do, and he doesn't want Hal to do it, so he's like, alright, well if you're gonna do it, you have to do it for real, so then Hal takes the gauntlet and beats the piss out of Kilowog, and escapes out into the galaxy, and the whole Green Lantern Corps thinks he's like this, this renegade and horrible, and he's, and he goes and, He's, he's on the run. Um, then after this, the Green Lantern Corps disappears. So Hal's like, oh my god, they disappeared. I have to find out what happened to the Green Lantern Corps. So while while he's an outlaw in the galaxy, he's still kind of doing his best to do the right thing. But trying to get by on his um, his reputation as being like a really bad guy now. And um, he's spending his time. He's trying to find out what happened to the Corps. And I don't think he's any closer to finding out. No, he's not close at all. Um, I just read the latest issue, but it escapes me. Uh, I don't know. What I do know is I, I am really enjoying this version of Hal Jordan. You get to learn a little bit more about Hal, uh, separate from how he is with the core. Uh, I kind of like how he's got this ragtag crew that he's with now, uh, with Trapper, who's this... Bounty Inter- hunter. Intergalactic bounty hunter space pirate yeah, yeah. scum bucket. And then uh the uh the the other alien of nobility whose planet got destroyed by uh well that's that's it. That's what I was gonna talk about was Blackhand. Uh Blackhand uh who's a major Green Lantern villain who typically uh can control uh the dead awaken the dead and use them to do his bidding with the black lantern rings everybody i'm sure everyone out there has read blackest night if you haven't you need to before you you you, you listen to anything else uh in regards to sci-fi month you got to go read blackest night it's probably one of the greatest sci-fi comic book story arcs out there ever yeah it's one of the <laughs> it's one of the classic all-time uh dc story arc events um the, the best i mean um it was written by jeff johns 
it pretty much sums up while Green Lantern is such a badass. It incorporates uh, everyone else within the DC universe as well. Um, this is at a time when DC was really struggling, when uh, when like uh, some of the characters needed new life being breathed into them. This is around a time, geez, back in like like early two thousands or whatever. Yeah, right around the turn of the millennium. Around yeah. the turn of the millennium when. When Jeff Johns pretty much resuscitated the Flash from being completely obscure and, and, like, just no one needed to know about it. And then he, then he went ahead and then he revitalized Green Lantern literally with the rebirth, with the rebirth arc. Yeah, which was also epic. Yeah. And, and then finally, uh, tagged that on with the, the Blackest Night arc. Wow, and Jeff Johns, uh, he, he wrote a lot of Green Lantern, come to think of it. I mean, you got Rebirth, the Sinestro War, uh, all the way up to Blackest Night, uh, did he write Brightest Day? He did write Brightest, Brightest Day. Day. He yeah. had a really long run. That's why it was such a big deal when he, when, um, because I remember when the new 52 came around, when you, when you checked out the Green Lantern book from the New 52, it was more of a continuation of the run he already had going on with Green Lantern before the New 52. Exactly. Came out yeah. And was supposed to rebrand itself because it, 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 it kind of really didn't skip a beat. And then, and that's why it was such a big deal with Green Lantern number 20 when he went ahead and he passed over the reins to, uh, Robert Vendetti. Mm. Who's mm. also done a bang up job. He's a amazing uh, sci fi writer as well. He writes Exo Manowar. He writes Exo Manowar. Yeah, Exo Manowar I believe is way been way better for him than uh, than uh, than Green Lantern. Although he's still doing a great job with Flash. Oh uh, yeah, he's doing. And Flash is another one that's just been an amazing sci fi as well, but uh, not so much of a space opera, so to speak. But yeah. Uh, Robert Van Detti, he's one of the big titans of the industry right now. He wrote Book of Death too. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he's been he's been doing real well for himself. Well, I mean, I guess he. Uh, you remember that movie with uh, Bruce Willis, Surrogates? I loved that movie. Yeah, he uh, he he wrote the graphic novel that inspired the movie. I didn't even know it was based on a graphic novel. That was such a cool movie, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, every time you think somebody's actually writing an original script, all they're ever, it just seems lately all they're really doing is taking graphic is adapting a graphic novel. So. That's why this medium. If you, you like know? movies, you gotta you gotta check out your graphic novels, and then uh, there's a lot of great great flicks that are just being inspired because it's just so easy and, to take and, the source yeah, material and TV and, series and translate too. It. Yeah, everything nowadays is based off of a graphic novel. That's why this medium is so damn pertinent to the entertainment industry as a whole. You look at everything that's out there, you look at, I mean, regardless of the DC Marvel stuff, you know, your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and your Arrow and your Flash and what have you, Constantine, uh, Supergirl, you also have uh, all these other shows that are based off of comic books now. You got iZombie, you have Preacher coming out, you got Lucifer coming out. Uh, Walking Dead. Walking Dead's Walking another, Dead. another huge one. Uh, I could go on and on. Uh there's been so many, so many. Um, so, you know, it just, it, it just, it reiterates, you know, the, the pertinence of this artistic medium. Oh yeah. Just, Comic books are in right now. They're more in than they've been for a long, you know, a long time, long time. But, uh, go jumping way back to where we were with, uh, Green Lantern, where we're at right now in regards to Black Hand, 
uh, is he has developed a new uh, ability uh, from coming into contact with the source wall where everything he touches now turns to stone. And that's what happened to um, the alien of nobility that is currently uh, riding shotgun with Hal right now in, this, in his ship. Uh, his planet was destroyed by Black Hand. Now, Black Hand doesn't know what's going on with him, and he doesn't, he doesn't like it. He wants to be able to control the dead, not turn the dead to stone. So, Hal is confronted him, and he's not listening, and they're duking it out, and he's realizing that his powers can actually turn his light constructs into stone, so he's in a lot of trouble right now. Uh, so that's where we've left off there with the famous arch villain of Black Hands. I believe I think that's another one that came out today. With the uh, the finale for that, it's got Ooh. it's got Relic on the cover, so and you know Re- it's going to yeah. be good. Oh yeah, Relic. When every time he shows up, there's always something big going down. Because yeah, Relic is has a lot to do with both Green Lantern books right now. Also in Lost Army, the uh, Green Lantern Corps that is lost in space and in, in an alternate dimension, it seems. Uh, with, uh, a Kronos that is actually, uh, a team player and not, uh, a huge arch villain. A huge homicidal, just, yeah, guardian, <laughs> homicidal maniac. But yeah, Relic shows up, or, or they encounter him and, and he quickly finds out that they are lightsmiths and he's not too happy about that. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see what goes on with that. I haven't read any further than that, but. Yeah, that's one that I kind of put down just with the, uh. Well, I kind of want to see what happens to the core. So as we go through this sci-fi month, I will gladly illuminate you and our listeners as to what goes on with our lost army of green lanterns. Awesome. Please do. So, uh, moving on in the DCU, uh, let's talk about another sci-fi. It's also probably the most popular book right now, if not one of the most popular books from DC, is, uh, Superman. Right. So, depending on which book you're talking about, Superman's doing different things. Well, there's Superman, then there's action comics. We'll talk both. I mean, yeah. why not? Well, there's then there's the Batman Superman book too. Oh yeah, Batman's. Well, we'll talk all. We'll talk about all of it. Why not? All right. Yeah. So in the Batman Superman book right now, they just finished up an arc where the subterranean people wanted to go ahead and steal um, a synthetic sun that was designed by Fox, and they they do they get away with it. And then, and then now Superman's kind of throwing down with Vandal Savage. Uh, he gets into a fight with him and Vandal Savage beats him up pretty good. Um, so Superman had to run away. And now it looks like Superman's going to be teaming up with some of Batman's old, uh, sidekicks. Batgirl. Because he's getting together with Batgirl, he's getting together with Grayson, and he's getting together uh, with Red uh, Hood. Red Hood. Yeah, that was cool. That was a cool way to end the last book. So that, I mean, that one's been really, really interesting. That's been a pretty good book since it came out. Oh, it's been superb. And then you have the title book, which Superman is, hasn't completely lost his powers yet. Um, and his identity's out, so he's kind of having a really hard time. Um, because now he, he, the only reason he had a secret identity is to protect the people that he loved. And now all his friends are being 
attacked and they're even kind of turning on him because Perry White ends up getting shot and and then he's really mad at Lois Lane and because she's the one who gave up the secret and then of course and then Jimmy's still really supportive but um with the way things are going just Superman's having a real rough time because his, his powers aren't as strong as they used to be and and now Superman's kind of have to reevaluate how he has to go about being Superman because before he he went to just his outcomes were just like no I have to save everyone and I have to save them in a certain way but now he's just like well now I when I fight people I have to fight them so hard that they're never going to mess with me ever again like just straight like putting people in traction in the hospital right um so that's kind of where we're at right now and then he's also dealing with the secret organization hoarder which is the secret organization that's been blackmailing Clark Kent that's been blackmailing Clark Kent and every other politician in the world because what they do is they just hoard information and they use that against people um and then and then in action comics what we have is Superman That's is, been the coolest by the way in my opinion that's been awesome Yeah Superman's power has been completely nerfed we don't know how um, he's much less, pretty much all he is, is he's just really, really way stronger than a normal human being, but not even as strong as, say, Aquaman. Which, uh, well, Aquaman took, like, you know, knocked his ass out in Batman Superman, I remember. Right. Yeah, he's just like, you're not Superman, ba-boom! I mean, he's not as strong as Aquaman, but let's put this in perspective. Aquaman's strong enough to pick up an oil tanker above his head, putting him Kind of up there on the strength scale, like just below Superman, even though I think Superman's strong enough to kind of push the moon out of orbit at full power. So he's less strong than that, but certainly more strong than a lot of other DC um, characters. Big time. You know, Aquaman, he's always gotten this bad rap for some reason. I don't know why. He's just, um, uh, but, you know, he's probably one of the most powerful characters in the DCU next to, all right. He's not as powerful as Superman. He's not as powerful as the Flash. He's probably not going to fend well, too well against Green Lantern, but and Wonder Woman. Those are like the four that you can contend with. But uh, well, in terms of strength, um, he couldn't really at Superman at his best. He can't really hang with Superman. The way Superman is now, he could totally take Superman. Oh yeah, um, I, not as strong as Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman is probably about a little. Um, Slightly less than Superman, really. Yeah, though she's a very powerful, not by much, very powerful superhero. Of course, so she doesn't have any qualms about killing certain people, depending on who you are. She tries to do the truth and justice thing, but if it's just like a straight out fight, she will stick a sword in you and rip your guts out, and not think twice. Right. Um, Aquaman's. I mean, he can swim really fast. I mean, if there was a pool next to a piece of land. He could probably at least stay within, like, seeing distance of the Flash. Yeah. Uh, but the Flash is just really fast. But that's really fast swimming. And then Green Lantern, I don't know. I think Aquaman could take Green Lantern. It, it would be interesting to see. Because yeah. Green Lantern obviously isn't as strong, but he's got, you know, certain cosmic powers that could, you know, you know those constructs versus Aquaman's... Strength, but then Aquaman can summon the powers of, uh, right. the sea creatures, you know, from the ocean. So I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. I mean, this really is like, this comes down to, uh, if, if Aquaman had, say, the home field advantage and he was in the deep ocean, I don't think Green Lantern could hang. Nah. Uh, on land, 
it'd be, mm, I think, more even because I, um, because I believe Aquaman's strong enough in order to destroy the constructs, but I think he'd get worn out doing that. Well, you so, know, you know, I think what we're gonna have to do to settle this little uh, debate is go go home after the podcast and uh, play a few rounds of Injustice and and just see who would win. Uh, in regards to an Aquaman Green Lantern uh, showdown. Well, that's, that's that's probably what's going to have to happen. And then we'll just go ahead and share the results on our next episode. Although I have to say that in that game, Aquaman is a very, very cheap character. That trident, I mean, once you learn a few basic moves with the trident, you pretty much own almost everyone in that he's game. Got, he's got great reach. The only character that's cheaper in that game would be... The green arrow, because the arrows, you could just spam the arrows and just, yeah, and just kind of back away. And green arrow is very cheap. And too. then, and then, uh, he's got a great leg sweep. Got a great leg sweep. So you don't want to underestimate the great leg sweep. I've won many a Mortal Kombat bout by using the, the leg sweep. Uh, it's very cheap. It's very aggravating, but it works. It's a great strategy. It's a go to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, we'll have to settle that, but, uh, you know, uh, I figure we'll touch upon uh, a couple more DC titles and then talk briefly about uh, what Marvel's got going on in regards to their sci-fi. Uh, and then probably uh, we'll conclude after that. But uh, uh, why don't we discuss uh, a fairly fresh sci-fi book that DC just put out a few months ago in Cyborg? Right. So a lot of people have been asking for a Cyborg book for like years. Oh, yeah. Um, and we finally got one, and we're very lucky that it doesn't suck, because it's actually probably one of the better books that DC's putting out right now. Well, Ivan Rice, uh, is doing the art, and he's, you know, he's a veteran. He's an incredible artist. He did a lot of Green Lantern, uh, artwork when Jeff Johns was writing it. I believe he did, I believe he also, um, Worked on Jeff Johns' Aquaman rung, which really didn't last long enough. Mm. The the further away I get away from Jeff Johns' Aquaman rung run, I, the more I I wish he was still writing that book. Although Colin Bunn has been doing a very good job with it lately. Um, you want to talk about versatile writers? You talk about Colin Bunn for a second. There's a guy that can you can stick him on anything, and it, it's turned out to be pretty damn good. You put him on Wolverine. He did Wolverine for years. It was awesome. I thought, uh, he did Lobo for a while for DC, uh, now he's doing Green Lantern Lost Army, he's doing Aquaman, there's nothing the guy can't hold down, it's, it's, you know, he's just one of those versatile writers. I think he's got a couple, um, he's got a, he's got like three or four books from Marvel he's working on right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, I know he's working on Marvel too, but with them, uh, just coming out with their number ones over the past month, it's been hard for me to like sort of memorize who's working on what yet. But uh, oh right, yeah. Well, I mean, you're finally, I don't know. Marvel has taken forever to kind of get through the one shot series. Well, not they were not really one shot series. They're these mini series that had to Secret do with Wars. Battle War, yeah. Or Battle World, yeah. And and finally, they're just finally getting into the meat and potatoes, and they're trying to jumpstart it because a lot of these books are having two releases um, a month. Which has been nice, uh, but that, that's still still kind of getting into the swing of things here, trying to make up our mind on on what's really going on with Marvel. Although I don't know, they had some very exciting releases today. The new Doctor Strange came out, uh, X Men Six Hundred, 
Extraordinary X-Men started its run. Can't wait to check that out. That's another Jeff Lemire. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on my stack I haven't even just got, I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. Well, likewise, but, um, we will, uh, discuss some of the changes going on with Marvel in regards to some of their, uh, prominent sci-fis. I mean, pretty much everything from Marvel can sort of be stuffed into the sci-fi category, but, uh, there's some, uh, Pretty general, uh, titles that we're gonna discuss, but, uh. Cyborg? Yeah, yeah, just getting. Yeah, we were talking about Cyborg. Getting, getting back to Cyborg, uh, written by David F. Walker. I don't know much about what else he's written, but he's been doing a good job on this. Once again, we talked about Ivan Rice doing the artwork. Uh, in regards to the story, uh, we have a Cyborg who is realizing that, uh, his technological capabilities are, Expanding. Yeah, they're kind of evolving because he can go from kind of, he's got this techno organic skin now that can either appear as normal human skin as if he's healed, but then he can just kind of with a thought all of a sudden his arm will morph into like a 17 barrel cannon with yeah. machine guns and, and, um, and laser targeting. It's crazy like bioorganic alien tech. It's so cool. Um, now, Maybe you can shed some light on this because I'm having trouble remembering, but there's something going on with these aliens from an alternate dimension where uh, they had killed Cyborg and then he was brought back from the dead. That was are we, are we talking his actual origin story when they're discussing that or is that a new development? So his so- origin story, if I'll just go through it real quick, it started out in uh, the pages of Justice League. Uh, for this particular one, uh, the Justice League actual Justice League Origins storyline that was done by Jim Lee and Jeff Johns. And what happens is um, the Justice League kind of are – they're not formed yet. Batman and Green Lantern are – find these um, – find these uh, – uh, what are the demons called that... Uh, oh, the parademons, and they find yeah, that yeah, mother yeah, yeah. box. Yeah, so we find the mother box, right? And it turns out that Darkseid's been sending these parademons over to set up these mother boxes to set Earth up for an invasion. So, moving right along... Um, uh, what's his first name? I forget Cyborg's first name. Oh, Victor uh, Stone. Victor Stone, thank you. So Victor Stone, he's there, and he is in the vicinity of a mother box that opens up when he's near it, and this just mauls him. He just gets totally just mutilated, and his father starts freaking out. His father is one of the top scientists at Star Labs, and he's got this He's one of the top dicks over at Star Labs, too. Yeah, he's just completely just... Not paying attention to his son, won't let his son play football in college, even though he's going to get a scholarship, and... And you're like, eh, you don't need that. No son of mine needs that. So all of a sudden he's caring about his kid because he's, this kid just got completely mutilated. So what he does is he, he takes his son in and he, and he sees this, um, they have this a- alien technology and they inject him with these nanomachines. And what they do is they rebuild his body and kind of gives him this cyborg body. And that, that's how he starts out. Um, he wasn't originally a superhero. He never asked for it. It just kind of something terrible happened. His dad had to make a decision. And the next thing you know, he's this badass cyborg that can integrate other technologies into his body. So at the beginning of the storyline, he's uh, having these nightmares. And I guess he was 
doing one of his things and traveling through different dimensions with the mother box and he gets into a situation where he was actually killed and he thought it was just a dream but it wasn't and i guess something happened with his technology and it rebooted and it evolved and and okay yeah so now these people who had killed him before have just kind of showed up and what it is is it's a a person from another dimension who's actually a cl- well, not really a clone, but a different version of another person that he knows that's in the book. That uh, that woman who works at Star Labs. Right. I, I her name escapes me. But. Right. And um, so, anyways, right now we have in this full scale invasion of Earth, where there's this this alien race that is trying to capture cyborg and use his technology to integrate into them, and then somehow domination of some sort. I guess. And then there's this other faction which is fighting them and they're appearing. So now they're both on Earth. The Justice League is way too busy all over the Earth trying to handle everything that's going down with them. And so he, Cyborg's kind of in Detroit on his own trying to figure it out. And he goes and he's goes back to Star Labs to try to save the scientists there because they're, they got this blockade and they're trying to keep the, the aliens out. And then, and then, uh, then they just kind of, I don't know, they're at crossroads right now. So that's where we're at right now. Yeah. And it's been really good. It's kind of, they're focusing on themes like what it is to be human and dealing with like relationships as far as like father-son and stuff like that. And And how his father like still looks at him as just like a a science experiment. Yeah. And I mean, it's been good. Yeah. It's been good. Now, Cyborg's a really interesting character. It's about damn time he's had his own book for sure. Uh, Another... uh, Another prominent sci-fi that's been really good lately, but probably hasn't gotten due credit, uh, is Lobo. Uh, obviously, for those of you who don't know, uh, intergalactic bounty hunter, Zarnian, uh, who ends up uh, killing his whole uh, race, yeah. he destroys his whole planet. Uh, he's kind of a douche. And he just kind of travels the galaxy, pulling jobs, smuggling. Uh, it's he's an assassin, uh, things like that. So right now he is actually working for Sinestro, taking down other lanterns. Uh, Sinestro has hired Lobo to exterminate the green, red, indigo lanterns right now. Uh, obviously, the green lanterns aren't around. Uh, no one knows where they are. Uh, see Lost Army for more information. <laughs> uh, but he's been taken down. He took down the in- Indigo tribe. It was pretty cool, uh, for Sinestro. And then, uh, he's been, uh, at war with the Red Lanterns. And he's realizing that the Red Lanterns, who, uh, you know, each color sort of, you know, is a part of the emotional, uh, spectrum. Uh, so each color of light represents a different emotion. The reds, uh, they feed on rage. Uh, and they're not, you know, Atrocitus leads the Red Lanterns and, and they're very gruesome. Uh, they're a take no prisoners kind of lantern group. And Lobo is finding that it's not so easy to take them down. He takes down, uh, Atrocitus and his little cat Dextar. Dextar! Come, Dextar! Well, uh, they, uh, rejuvenate, 
and come back to life and go after him. So he's like realizing, whoa, like how the heck are you going to kill these guys? Um, but it's been interesting, you know, seeing Sinestro sick Lobo on, uh, the different, uh, light wielders. So that's been cool. Lobo is, uh, is pretty cool in, in the respect that, you know, he's sort of just, you know, this, lone wolf in the galaxy and and he doesn't have any friends and he's just you know all about the money it's it's sort of like you know everyone get out of my way i'm hired to kill this person or whatever it is or smuggle this you know uh it's a different take on uh what could potentially uh go on uh other parts of the universe if you will in space you know mm. if there were intergalactic bounty hunters who knows? Um, so then that brings us to Omega Men, a book that I am not reading, but a book you have recommended uh, a few times now uh, on the podcast. Um, so let's uh, let's cover that real quick. Yeah, moving right along. Uh, the Omega Men, uh, explained in a short form, is they are a terrorist group within the system of the galaxy known as the Citadel. Uh, everyone thinks they've killed Kyle Rayner. They have not killed Kyle Rayner. They have kidnapped him and then put a bomb in his neck in order to kind of try to leverage him in order to doing what they want. Um, they're trying to kind of overthrow the government. Uh, their leader is secretly this, uh, this princess who is, has trained, uh, ex- excellent swordsman trained to kill people. And right now she's trying to trick Kyle Rayner into doing something for her. And meanwhile, she's, uh, just secretly doing things, and uh, I believe I don't know. This is one that I haven't really been able to pick up, even though it's been renewed for full twelve issues. So we'll get the whole story, which I was thrilled to hear about. Oh yeah. Um, it's still really hard to find on shelves, even though you explicitly tell your comic book store to put it on your list, and then uh, when it actually comes out, they just don't bother to get it because they don't want to pick up one copy, and nobody's got it on their sub list. So it's just kind of really irritating when that happens. And then you got to, you know, go shop around. They always tell you, uh, oh, you can go ahead and just tell us what to pick up and we'll go get it for you. It's like, well, that's going to take you over a week and you take forever to find things when there are other things out there like the Internet and Newberry Comics where I could just drive my car 10 minutes and get exactly what I want. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a rant there. Um uh, you gotta have a good comic collector rant there every day. Uh, just, then. uh, <laughs> that, that whole aspect of it is just entirely irritating. But all in all, um, that's where the, the story's at right now. I actually just picked up an issue number five. I don't know if that's the most recent issue. I believe there might be an issue six out there somewhere, but, uh. Cool. But, uh, Intergalactic terrorists. Terrorists. They, uh, they're not good guys, but the the story itself is kind of de- developing so slowly that uh, it's definitely one of those things that would probably be better in a trade. As a trade, it'll probably achieve cult status as it is right now. I'm probably not selling that much. That's probably how I'm going to end up reading it when I do. I'm going to end up getting you know the soft cover. That's probably the way to go. 
Yeah. And then you don't get the ads too. It's always nice. Pick oh, up a geez. nice soft cover. Yeah, no, you get Nick Lachey on like page one and page I, two. I, you know, I hated that when they split the pages. It's one thing, alright, you get a page of, of ads, you flip it over and you keep going, but when you actually have the ad like half, you know, page, like, half ad. It's, it's encroaching into your actual comic book experience. It's like I have to look at Nick Lachey now eating a Snickers bar. No, thank you. Ooh, do you vote for left Twix or right Twix? And it's just like, ugh, what, you take a page out of the federal government's, like, playbook? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, you can hate Democrats or Republicans. Oh, they're actually the same thing, just like Twix. <laughs> Eat Twix. Yeah, exactly. The illusion of choice. Uh, yeah, I, I, they got to stop doing that where they actually, you know, split the page like that half and half. I imagine you know? they got a lot of complaints when they uh, when they went ahead and they, they got that. As they should. That was horrible to do to the comic book consumer. Horrible. Yeah, I remember. And they did it for every page for like the entire month. And it was so bad. I don't know why DC... I think it was just DC who did I think that. it was DC, yeah. Yeah, yeah not no, Marvel. Because I, like, I don't know. Who, who do you think's got more money right now? Marvel or DC? Uh, cause of the movies and D- Disney and everything. Well, you got Warner Brothers backing. I know, DC. and then like, Warner Brothers has got to, like tons, of, and they've had tons and tons of money forever. But I don't feel that Warner Brothers gives a shit about their comic book line, whereas Disney knows what they have with Marvel, and they're like, "Yes, Marvel, we're gonna fertilize you and water you and give you lots of sun, and then you're going to grow, and you're going to make us lots of money, money tree. <laughs> you're a money tree." And we're going to put all that money into the Disney vault. No one's going to get it. Yeah. Sigh. Speaking of Marvel, now's a perfect time to transition into uh, some Marvel sci-fi. Ah, let's see. Um, How is the old money tree doing? Oh, the money tree couldn't be better. Um, and one of the reasons why uh, it's probably due to the end of the Fantastic Four. Uh, the Fantastic Four book has ceased to be. Uh, I picked up a few copies, a few different variants of the last issue. Um, they're, they're discontinuing it. I think, uh, the, the Marvel universe, the comic book universe is evolving. Uh, much like they have sort of put Steve Rogers on the back burner in regards to Captain America, they've put the Fantastic Four on the back burner, especially, you know, after that horrific excuse for a movie that came out this summer uh so 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 basically what marvel is doing is they have they have put the guardians of the galaxy in place of the fantastic 4 as the prominent sci-fi book that's sort of the outlet for all of the cosmic entities within the marvel universe and i think it's really cool the guardians of the galaxy seem to be a lot more interesting to follow uh the characters are more interesting. Rocket Raccoon, you got Drax the Destroyer, you got Gamora, the insane assassin lady that's Thanos' daughter or whatever. Star-Lord's obviously really cool. Yeah, he's still uh, part of it. And then... Groot's there. I don't know. Groot's there. <laughs> they've, they've also made additions that the thing... See, Fantastic Four haven't been obliterated from the Marvel Universe. They've well, just, yeah. They've, yeah. a lot of them have been repurposed and moved on to other titles. Um, the thing is part of, um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy also has Vi- Venom. Yeah. Fla- the Flash Thompson Venom. Yep. Um, and Key Pride. 
is now a member of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, and from what I understand, uh, the new Guardians book is going to have her filling in the role for Star-Lord, and Star-Lord's going to be having his own book. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. It's going to be kind of strange, because right now Star-Lord has kind of been forced into the leadership role of the planet Spartax. Right. And uh, he was actually in the first issue, but only in his role... Um, basically filling his father's shoes. Right. He, it was basically the people of the planet just kind of forced him into it, and he can't find a way to get out of it. Um, so there's that. And then, so I don't know what his own personal book will revolve around, but the good thing is is that Brian Michael Bendis is still doing the Guardians of the Galaxy book. Awesome. So it should still be really good. Yeah, anything that man touches turns to gold. It's uh, it's just a truth. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's already doing an amazing job on the Iron Man book. Oh, yeah, I picked up issue one. Fantastic. Finally, we are back to somewhat of a status quo Tony Stark, which I like because we haven't seen a status quo Tony Stark in years, from what I feel. No, well, let's see. They, they're always trying to take everybody in. There's that, like, that, what, year, year and a half where they're taking everyone in the Marvel Universe is going in a new direction. Yeah. And it was just like, now we got Tony Spark in space. Now we have the Tony. Superior Sp- Iron Man. Now we have Tony. No, now he's this, he's, he's, he's been a, oh, his alignment, his, he's chaotic neutral now. I do, however, I do like the tweaks they, uh, made with Stark, uh, in the little, uh, Battle World uh, side books that they've had during Secret Wars, like Armor Wars was really cool, where uh, they had his brother involved, and Wilson Fisk was actually had it, he had a tech company in this whole like Technopolis world that Stark is the Baron of, and uh, just long story short, the, um, the whole city, uh, or the whole realm, whatever you want to call it, those little realms that are all like scattered across Battle yeah, World. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Technopolis one, there's this virus, this technological virus that's in the atmosphere that, uh, if people are exposed to it, they die. So everyone's wearing like an Iron Man type suit. It's like a containment suit almost, uh, to protect from the virus. But then at the same time, it's also like armored to the teeth too. So you have all these people, you have like a, a, a heavily armored Peter Urich Spider-Man, which is really cool. As you know, in regular Marvel U continuity, Peter Urich was one of the Hobgoblins. He's Spider-Man in this universe. Uh, then you have uh, Tony's brother. I forget his name. But Arno. He, Arno, that's right. He's evil. He's got his own... Techno tech company and and uh you know his own uh agenda with that and he's uh kind of in cahoots with Wilson Fisk who uh is also sort of trying to take over Technopolis with uh you know the same tech that Arno has been supplying him so it's an interesting story and then Stark at the end uh well the end of issue four I haven't gone any further than that uh, I think they all, all the Battle World um, miniseries are only five if you, five issues each. Okay, so I got one more to read, but he ends up uh, teaming up with his brother. So it'll be interesting to see what happens yeah. with that because you know when Stark teams up with his brother, nothing good comes from that. No. So, but um, but as far as the normal Iron Man books, they've been really really good. I've, there's also a second title that's going to be calling out called International Iron Man. Is that like the uh, the Rhodey book? Like the War Machine type book, or is that just something different? No, no, it's still about Tony Stark. It's just, huh. uh, 
he, it's it's going to be about his adventures that are more global as opposed to the ones that he's got going on in cool. Invincible Iron Man. And that will also be um, done by Bendis and who was the, who was the artist who did uh, Daredevil with him? Oh, Chris Samney. No, no, no. That's Chris Samney did it with Mark oh, Wade. Oh, you're talking about Alex Maleev, who did the uh, art when Bendis was on Daredevil. Right. That's what I meant. Ale- yep. Alex Maleev, he's an incredible painter. Right. He's he's going to be doing um, International Iron Man with him. And that I, I imagine that book's going to be coming out within the next couple of months. Oh, that's going to be so I mean, it good. Was, it was just announced. Now, I don't know if you've seen this yet on the web, but Alex Maleev just put out like a promotional... Uh, movie poster, if you will, for the TV series Jessica Jones. Uh, now, Bendis and Maleev worked on Alias, the Jessica Jones book, uh, around the same exact time they were doing Daredevil, too. It was during that era where the Marvel Knights were, like, really big. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone was really into, like, Daredevil, Punisher, Heroes for Hire, Jessica Jones, like, all those Defender type. I think they both did, like, um, an online one-shot issue for Jessica Jones, to hype up the show that's coming out on Netflix. I, yeah, soon. you're you're right. I have not gotten my uh my my hands on that yet, but uh yeah, I have heard. Uh I think that's going to be a pretty awesome uh series. I never read the book. Uh but I am excited for it. Daredevil's supposed to be guest starring within the first few episodes, which that's is pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, Marvel has a lately they develop a great talent for taking properties that are very fringe very relatively unknown go ahead and be like you know what we're just gonna go ahead and make this movie like i don't know guardians of the galaxy what were the guardians of the galaxy they go ahead they make a movie the movie's excellent it's amazing all of a sudden everyone's wearing star lord pajamas (laughs) so pretty soon everyone's gonna be wearing jessica jones sweatpants i don't know (laughs) <laughs> well, she doesn't, that's the thing is she doesn't have like a, a real costume or like a symbol or anything. So it might be hard to like, you know, create some merchandise, but I'm sure they'll figure a way. Well, I've only seen one brief trailer where they're kind of like panning up across her bedroom floor and it's covered with like empty Jack Daniels bottles. I saw that. Yeah. And her alarm goes off at like three in the afternoon she and she goes and it. she just, she's super strong, I guess. And she just smashes it to bits. Yeah, I, I've seen the full length trailer and it looks pretty intense. Uh, Luke Cage plays a prominent role in the, in the story as well as like they're married in the Marvel U. Right. Uh, it looks good. It looks very fringy, very dark and gritty, kind of like Daredevil. Uh, I'm pretty pumped for it. And Kristen Ritter is one of my favorite actresses. Uh, she was phenomenal in Breaking Bad and stuff like that. So. Oh yeah, didn't she play the, um, meth head? heroin addict girlfriend yeah she was uh she was a recovering heroin addict and when jesse moved in next door to her and like the other unit in the house they developed a romance she gets back into heroin gets him into heroin and then ods and then walter white being the bastard that he is like sees that she's dying and does nothing to help her because he wants jesse to Focus on cooking meth and not focus on her, which right. is really, really fucked up. But. Yeah, and then then her dad freaks out, and her dad's this air traffic controller, and then planes collide right. over, say, over New Mexico. It just starts this crazy like domino effect. Yeah, it's yeah. such such good writing. And Vic- then it, he could have saved her life, but this is after he breaks into Jesse's apartment because he needs. I forget what he needed from him. He needed, I like, forget. Mo- too. It was like money. It's probably or, money, or, or like, or, or he was holding on to meth or something. 
It was something like that. I have to go back and watch the series well, sometime. That was, uh, but... that was season two. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. I haven't watched the complete series yet. I watched all season five, and I've watched seasons one through two, and I'm almost done with three. And and then and then I just keep getting well, not really distracted. There's lots of other great things that I've been watching in the meantime. It's just you know. Well, plus Breaking Bad can get. A little depressing. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Like and you, you got to take a break. You have to be like in a good frame of mind when you watch it. Otherwise, you're gonna just walk away like more depressed and like than you already are. Like if you're on various depression medications, make sure you're like really happy and like you're just up for this kind of stuff. Because like otherwise, it just gets oof, it gets much. real dark. It's a really dark show. But very good, amazing writing from Vince Gilligan on that. So, anyways, uh, getting back to Marvel here, uh, we went on a little tangent, but just a couple more, uh, giant titles from Marvel that, uh, I want to touch upon. They're, they're big titles, but they happen to be very sci-fi as well. Um, the first being Avengers, New Avengers, and what's been going on with that over the past three years. You mentioned Jonathan Hickman earlier, and, uh, just dawned on me how sci-fi everything really has been, you know, in regards to the Infinity Arc all the way up until what's going on now. Yeah, uh, dealing, Secret Wars. very much dealing with different realities and conversions and, and it was just all across. I mean, his he didn't write different story arcs. What he wrote was one enormous story that ran from month to month for three years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you can't really appreciate it unless you kind of read it all as a whole, which would actually take you quite a long time because a lot of stuff happens. I mean, I might feel like nothing really happens for a while, and then all of a sudden it's just like, whoa, tons of stuff just happened. Oh, yeah. Uh I mean, you have that huge like an alien invasion with the infinity... uh Infinity Arc they had that was what two summers ago, right? The Infinity Arc that uh, had that was just Marvel really just naming things horribly again. Yeah, it had nothing to do with Infinity or the Infinity Gauntlet or, or the Stones or, or, or anything anybody. like that. Yeah, it, it, it. I mean, Thanos was in it, and he wasn't even in it in that arc very much. No, he was just he was invading Earth because he saw the opportunity because the Avengers were off planet. Dealing with these aliens, these uh, engineers or the, the builders, the builders, builders. Yeah, is that them? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, and they're creeping across the galaxy and their enormous world destroying ships, trying to blow up Earth because Earth is the 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 fulcrum point in all realities where Earth needs to be destroyed or the whole universe will end. Which is pretty much what Secret Wars is about right now. Yeah, we have that cataclysmic event. Um, we're finding a little more about that uh, in regards to the big players uh, that were there for the you know the the universe uh, sort of coming to an end and then beginning anew, if you will, where you have Doom, Doctor Doom, manipulating the Molecule Man into uh, using his powers, because Doom himself does not have the power to do any of this, but um, he's, he's the master manipulator. So um, 
he's there to sort of, you know, push Molecule Man to, to take these, uh, different, uh, patchwork, uh, Puzzle pieces, if you will, from yeah, these, just, these different uh, yeah, fragments from different realities that had just been destroyed, exactly, and then, and then hold them together in one giant world. And then, I mean, the way the issue six ended was great. The yeah. Thanos goes ahead and he's like talking to the thing, which I guess the thing has been turned into the shield, yeah, which is the like giant the giant wall rock wall that keeps all the other bad things from getting out and getting into the other territories right and he wakes up and then he turned johnny storm into the sun and reed richards isn't a part of the equation because he was on the life raft when everything went down right and uh reed's kids don't know who he is and sue storm is doom's wife that's right that's right um and then you get dr strange who was sort of like the like the sheriff you know like the only like the only original in, character left outside of Doom and uh, the Molecule Man. Exactly. But then, you know, Doom kills him off because he lets all the survivors of the Raft go loose into the different, you know, lets them loose throughout Battleworld when he was supposed to execute them. So, um, you know, even in mainstream Marvel and like the mainstream events that they're, they've been putting out, you have extreme sci-fi elements there all the way back you know from the infinity uh story arc i mean even before that obviously ever yeah. since you know we'll the, see. the avengers was created but i mean well they've had a marvel is great at big events but secret wars is probably the best event that they've had in the past 10 years i beg to differ only because Avengers vs. X-Men, I thought, was better. It's a, it's a bigger deal, um, and it started out great, but I'm just, we're just gonna have to agree to disagree on oh, that. Oh, everyone's one. entitled to their own opinions. It's alright. Um, but I just personally liked A vs. X just a hair better, but, uh, Secret Wars, this, this version that they've put out, um, much different than the original Secret Wars. It really should have been called something different. We've been over that time and time again. But, right. Uh, well, I mean... No, I mean, good. mainstream yeah. Marvel Avengers stuff is is very cool, very trippy sci-fi. It's very, it's very fun. And uh, with that, um, the last Marvel entity I want to discuss uh, this week um, that really has a large... Uh, sci-fi base to it would be, of course, the X-Men. And, right. And uh, they've certainly been doing a lot with the X-Men. Humans uh, evolved to superhumans. Um, mutations. I mean, I mean, we haven't seen mutations in uh, real-world biology that have been that extreme, but we've certainly seen biological mutations. So mm -hmm. biologically speaking... Uh, genetic mutations are a real thing. We just haven't seen them. I mean, like, you look at somebody who's albino, like, that's a mutation. Uh, but it's just not something, like, to that degree, you know? Like, 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 no one's shooting, like, uh, photon beams from their eyes or anything like that. Yeah, but. it's, it's more like <laughs> cats developing thumbs. Which yeah. is a thing. Which yeah. is, they got cats out there that have thumbs. But, but, I mean, back in the day, Stan Lee took this, like, scientific premise like genetic mutation what if that was you know 
sort of a, like a like a scientific biological mishap that creates these superhumans that you know not only are they fighting oppression because that was like you know the big prominent issue that Stan uh, formulated the X Men story around was sort of uh, well the uh, civil rights issue civil rights yeah yeah yeah. Um, except it's mutant rights in the story, but I mean, very underlying, uh, very cool underlying theme there that's been prominent up until present day. And you look at what they've done since A versus X, you look at, well, for instance, you look at like Battle of the Atom, uh, where you have the original X-Men, uh, Hank McCoy, Beast, he, 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 uh, transports them through time to present day, brings them to present day, and you have, uh, the original five X-Men, uh, in the mix with everything going on in present day, with Scott Summers turning all evil and berserk and... Yeah, he becomes more of a militant civil rights leader. He was... He's like, actually an excellent heel. Yeah, he was such a goody two-shoes for so long and everyone just kind of hated him anyway. So yeah. it was just like natural for him to just do this total heel turn where he's just like, he will use any means necessary in order to... To protect mutants. And it makes more sense because his, he, he, it's not very benevolent power that he has. He shoots catastrophically destructive beams from his eyes. He's a very scary villain because <laughs> of the power set and because of his demeanor now. I mean, you know, you look at everything that's happened to, to Cyclops throughout his life and now he loses Jean Grey and this and that and Professor X is now gone and it's his fault and, uh, Obviously, it's like, you know, what's the natural next step for this man? Obviously, he's got to make a drastic heel turn. And it's worked really, really well for for the X-Men series. So so right now, you got a few books you want to watch out for if you want to find out what's going on with the X-Men. You, of course, have Uncanny X-Men, which is sort of centered around Cyclops and the mutants that are following him and the, sort of the new mutant brotherhood, if you will. Yeah. Uh, Bendis's run just uh, concluded with number 600. Yeah, that is a book that you have to pick up. It is, uh, it's an absolute, you know, keepsake for the comic book it's, collector. It's going to be a big time collector. Um, it's, um, also kind of sums up everything that he's been doing ever since, uh, he took, Started writing the X Men titles at the uh, end of the Avengers vs X Men arc, right? Um, and then I believe then the Uncanny X Men is going to revolve around more of the X Men villains like Mystique and Magneto and Sabretooth. Hmm. Okay. And then we have the Extraordinary X Men, written but, by Jeff Lemire, which is going to be your Nightcrawlers and your Colossuses and your Old Man Logans and your Jean Greys and your Storms. Yeah, and uh Jeff Lemire, in addition to to writing uh, Extraordinary X-Men, he's also going to be writing the Old Man Logan book. I, I kind of like how they've incorporated Old Man Logan. It's like, all right, they did kill off Wolverine, but people are clearly going to have withdrawals from that. I know I am. I'm not, I haven't been getting my healthy dose of Wolverine now for a while until, you know, the Old Man Logan uh, Battle World side book, which just, you know, I, I read all that. That concluded. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, that was awesome. That was probably one of the best uh, side stories in the Secret Wars uh, arc. But uh, I, I kind of like how they're going to incorporate Old Man Logan uh, into the mix uh, probably over the course of the next year or two, especially in preparation for the last Wolverine installment uh, with Hugh Jackman where he will portray 
Old Man Logan, which will be cool too. Uh, as most of you probably know, Old Man Logan, uh, is a, a story arc that came out years ago written by Mark Millar and, uh, one of those writers that, you know, whatever he touches, he seems to turn to gold as well. Uh, so, you know, everybody is, uh, on board the old man Logan train and it's full steam ahead, uh, to the box office, it seems. And, and the comic book's gonna probably be used as a vessel, I'm sure, to generate, uh, more of an already outstanding fan base for that film that's, uh, coming out. Uh, I'm not sure when, but whenever it does, I know it's, uh, it's in pre-production right now, so I think it's got a ways to go. Well, but. they'll probably start filming next year and then it'll probably come out like a year or two after that. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, they I don't know. They're kind of expediting these things. These, well, not completely for the big, big mega budget ones. Um, it takes, pre-production takes a year. Then, then well, you have actual filming. Well, the good thing with, for, for Fox, you know, the Ace of Spades that they, the X-Men really are the Ace of Spades up their sleeve right now because if they didn't have that, they'd have nothing. They got Deadpool. They're going to be riding the Deadpool coattails for probably the next year, year and a half. Well, they're probably over the next decade. Well, yeah, but you imagine I, they're going to be doing a trilogy. Well, obviously, but I mean, like until you know, to hold people over until Wolverine. It looks like Wolverine and Deadpool are going to be their two heavy hitters, along with you know, and then they got X Men Apocalypse coming out too, and I guess. Hugh Jackman, they just announced that he is going to make an appearance in that X-Men movie as well, although he won't be one of the main players. Uh, cool stuff, though. Lots to look forward to. Um, so, hey, you know, we talked about a lot of really great sci-fi reads t- today. Uh, a lot of uh, awesome, awesome, uh, futuristic, trippy sci-fi tales in regards to Valiant Comics, in regards to Image, in regards to DC and Marvel. Uh, so uh, in continuation of Sci-Fi Month, join us over the next few weeks. We are going to be discussing more about sci-fi comic books. We are going to be discussing sci-fi television, particularly in the regards to uh, the new Star Trek show that has been announced uh, some of the old Star Trek series, some Doctor Who, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Firefly, Twilight Zone. Uh, then, you know, we're gonna discuss some sci-fi flicks as well, and then, uh, join us, uh, at the end of the month for our big Star Wars podcast, uh, that we'll be having, uh, with special guests, stand-up comedians Nathan Burke and Mark Gallagher. So, um, we want to thank you all for joining us this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed uh, this immense uh, list of great, outstanding sci-fi. And uh, we hope to uh, have you all back next week. Uh, I am Andrew Puzak of Vigilant Geek Media. And with me, as always, uh, Holden Orm of Vigilant Geek Media as well. And as always, stay vigilant. vigilant.